So, uh, in case you've never noticed, I don't preach from a position of, I got this thing nailed down. There are way too many people that could help me understand that I ain't even close. So that's what we're talking about this morning. We're going to talk about something that uh, as I went through it, I had a few aha moments of my own as I went through it. Uh, as we leave here today, you might see me sometime this week and you might go, mm -mm 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 -mm, and that'll be fine if you do, that'll be just fine. I'm growing just like you are and uh, God's getting us there. He, uh, he tends to shift gears on us and takes us about the time we think we got this thing nailed down. He says, ah, now let me take you here. And that's where we're going. So that's pretty cool. So here I am coming to church one day last week. I come down 129. You know, I live up on Sinclair. And there's only one way to get here, and that's come down 129. And you have to go through that monstrosity of a, an intersection out here at 129 and 22, and there's about 22 other roads that all come together right there, and each one of them has their own traffic light, and each traffic light has to cycle through completely before the next road can cycle through its traffic light, and you can sit there pretty much and die waiting on the lights to change. I hate that intersection. Whoever designed it, we'll stop. So I'm coming down and normally what I do coming down is I'll turn right on MLK which is that first little over the railroad spot there and and I'll make my little right and I'll go on and I'll be happy but on this morning this week as I'm doing this I'm behind a guy that's got a car that's got the bumper sticker on the back of it that says how's my driving call and leaves a number there so I know that this car is either an official government vehicle or some company vehicle or something like that and he stops right before he gets to MLK and 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 there's lots of room between him and one of those wonderful log trucks you know that are always there plenty of room for him to cross over there but he stops and there's some people waiting to come across and he waves them across and they all go and I think oh how nice that's cool now dude pull on up so I can turn right and he just sits there I wasn't in the mood so I'm coaching him from my car 10 feet, dude. That's all you got to do. Pull up 10 feet and I can turn right. Turn right. Everybody that comes up to the, to, comes up to the intersection, he's sitting there. Way on up there is a log truck. He smiles. He waves. And they pull out. I look in the rearview mirror. There's 2,000 cars behind me. Every one, of them, every one of them has their right turn blinker on, wanting to turn right, right there over the railroad track where this guy's in front of me, and he will not budge. He will not move. And I don't know if y'all do this or not. I suspect some of you are sort of wired like I am. And I coach this guy in varying volumes, you know? Just move on up. Go ahead, you can do it, move on up. Just sort of push on the gas, it'll go forward, move on up. Until finally I got to this sentence, and when I said this sentence, that's when I had my moment. I said to myself, sort of loudly in the car, what in the world is he thinking? <clears throat> you have to be careful with God because he takes things that you say and he twists them around on you. 
And I thought to myself, what in the world is he thinking? Because I don't know. You know, maybe this is a guy who hates to wait. And he's doing unto others as he would have them do unto him. And so he hates to wait. And he's not going to block the intersection. And he's going to let them get through. Or maybe this is a guy because he's in an an official vehicle. Maybe he's been reported before. And maybe he's on his last leg at work and he doesn't want to get reported again because it could cost him his job. So he's sitting there being nice, helping people come along. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe his wife kissed him goodbye that morning like she meant it and he was walking on the clouds thinking, this is a great day. I'm going to be nice to everybody. Yeah, ladies, we're that shallow. We really, really are. And don't try to change it. It's fine. We enjoy where we are. And sometimes that happens, and that's the way we are. And that's what happens. I don't know what this guy was thinking. I have absolutely no clue what this guy was thinking. And that's when God sort of had this moment with me. I took it as a little bit of chastisement where he said, Dude, he's, he's my creation too. Lighten up. Just lighten up. Lighten up a little bit. You know, this week in our church, we've had somebody whose father had to be removed from life support, and he died. We've had one of our members fall and break her hip. She has a husband. She has children. She has a sister, at least a sister that goes to this church. We have somebody that's waiting to get cancer treatments. We have somebody celebrating the anniversary of a devastating miscarriage And you're sitting there thinking to yourself, who in the world's he talking about? Yeah, because we don't know what each other's thinking. We have no clue. But we are so quick to get angry. And I don't know if y'all have noticed it or not. I do blame it somewhat on the environment that we live in now. But have you noticed how fast people get angry now? And have you noticed how fast you get angry now? Man, it doesn't take much at all for us to just fly absolutely off the handle. And it is not good for us. And that is not how God designed us. It's not the way he meant for this thing to be. Turn your Bibles with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start at verse 21. And we're going to read 21 through 26. Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Jesus is speaking, Sermon on the Mount, working our way through. Jesus said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last 
penny. Now, let's do the technical stuff. Let's work all this thing out and let's understand what Jesus was saying so we know how to apply this. He says, you have heard that it was, ha- was said. And we've already dealt with this several times already. We know he's talking about the law and the prophets. Jesus says that he wasn't doing away with all the prophets, that he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Here he is specifically referring to Exodus 20:13 that says very clearly in the King James, I believe, thou shalt not kill. It's really translated, you will not murder. That's the word that's theirs, the word murder. That is pretty straightforward, you know. I mean, it doesn't get much clearer than that. Kill somebody in anger, take their life unjustly, boom, you forfeit your life, you forfeit your right to live. It's a simple equation, end of story. Stick him with a needle, send him home to meet his creator, let's move on and life is fine. But Jesus will not leave things alone. I don't know if y'all have noticed this or not, but he keeps meddling in this easy stuff and he makes it very difficult. Because here he says, he says that Anger is the same thing as murder. Am I wrong? That's what he's saying here. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother. And there's an interesting thing about this word anger here. The the killer to this thing is, killer, get it, killer, murder, that's a pun. I intended to do that. The killer to this thing here is that this word anger works in both directions. It's, it's not a one-directional word. What the word anger means here is either I am enraged at you or I have you enraged at me. So there's no way to get around this. It's not just me being mad at you. There's the, Jesus is saying here, if you are mad with me, and I have always wondered about this, you know. Verse 23 says, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your gift and be reconciled. And I've always wondered about that. That doesn't make sense to me. Tim's mad at me. (laughs) Okay. Tim's mad at me. What's new? People are mad at people all the time. Doesn't matter to me. Tim needs to get over it. He needs to get a life. If that's the best thing to do, sit at home worrying about Randy. (laughs) Good for him. I got better things to do. I watched Despicable Me 2 last night. I wasn't even thinking about Tim. But Jesus is saying here, now wait a minute, Randy. If he is mad at you, you've got a big problem. And if you're mad at him, you've got a big problem. That's what he says here. This is not me making this up. Red letters in some of your Bibles. It's the man talking. So here we go. How big of a problem do I have? If you look, if you have the New American Standard Version of the Bible, it translates this out and makes it a little bit clearer to understand here. He says three things here. He says, if you are just angry, you're liable to the court. If you insult your brother, you're liable to the Supreme Court. And if you call your brother worthless, then you are liable to the fires of hell. Now, there are two things that I want us to look at here in all of this. Remember, court, Supreme Court, fires of hell. The first thing that we talk about here, though, is calling your brother worthless. Calling your brother a fool. Have you ever watched people 
especially old school people, and somebody goes up and calls somebody a fool, and you just see their face go, you're going to hell. Because it says, right, thou fools. It's not what it means. The word fool is also translated worthless. But what Jesus is trying to get across here is there's, there's a, and you might have to check me on this because this part of it is from memory. I didn't look this up because I'm 99% certain I'm right. It's the word raka. Some of your Bibles say that, R-A-C-A, the word raka. It is, an, it is a Greek transliteration of an Aramaic word. And what that word is, is the worst insult that anybody could give anybody during Jesus' day. That's what that word was. And I worked hard trying to think of of what would be an equivalent insult today that would cause that kind of reaction. Because it's going to be hard to find an insult like that today because we hurl insults at each other so much. We watch them on television so much. We're sort of immune. But there is one insult I could think of. If I walk up to a black guy and, I call, and I'm angry with that black guy and I walk up and I call him and There it is. If I walked up to a black guy in this sanctuary and called him the N-word, you would gasp. Some of you would. You'd gasp. When Jesus said raka, his audience went, (gasps) when Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount and everybody left, there were people that were walking away. So did y'all hear Jesus when he said raka? Did you hear him say that? That's the force of that word he wasn't you don't use that word to build anybody up you're using that word to tear somebody down a white guy going up to a black guy and calling him the n-word absolutely is not trying to do that to make the black guy feel good he's trying to tear him down he's trying to to do something to tell him how despised he is that's what this word means So when somebody says fool, don't get all been out of shape that they're going to die and go to hell. But when somebody turns to somebody and tells them that they are the most worthless piece of trash that they have ever seen in their whole life and they deserve to die and go to hell, that's when you better step back and say, wait a minute, dude, you are flirting with disaster right now. Because that's what Jesus is talking about here. That's the first thing. The second thing is, sounds like there's three degrees of punishment. It leads us to believe that there's three degrees of anger. Eh, sort of not, but not really. There's one level of punishment. With this anger thing, there is one level of punishment. The first level of punishment we've got here is the court, right? What does a court do? I hope none of you have ever had to stand before a judge and get sentenced for anything. I haven't, thank God. To me, that's terrifying. I don't know about you guys. Getting locked up somewhere? That is the most horrible thought I can think of. Getting, I don't want that. I don't want that. What happens when you go before a judge and you get locked up? What do you lose? You lose your freedom. When you lose your freedom, you, you lose your life. Because see, our life is time. And they're stealing that time away from us. Because we are in prison. We have 
get up when they say get up. We have to go to bed when they say go to bed. We have to do what they say to do the way they say do it. If you go to the county jail and you end up washing the, the sheriff's cars, you still have to wash the cars like the sheriff tells you to wash the cars. You don't do anything the way you want to do it. You have lost your freedom. You have lost your life. Supreme Court, what can the Supreme Court do? They can take your freedom away from you, but they also can take your life away from you take the freedom away, or they could kill you. And then you have the final one here where Jesus says that you go to the fires of hell. Well, you lose your life, and you lose your life for all eternity. But in every one of these cases, and all three of these levels, what you have to understand, what we have to understand, what slapped me in the face was, is that anger makes us lose our lives. That was profound to me. And I want you to hang on to that thought for a minute. Because folks, we're angry. Look at, the, look at the political landscape right now. Everybody's angry. Anger makes us lose our lives. I'm not going to go into this in detail. But we're going to brush up against it. I want you to think with me for a minute. When you are angry, what do you think about? When you're really angry, what do you think about? I think about the person I'm mad at. I think about something they might say to me. And what I might say back to them. And how that speech might go. And I always win when I'm arguing with you in my mind. You have never won. You can't win. Because I am a superior arguer when I'm furious. I bet you never lose either, do you? Because that's what we do when we're angry. What's going on in the world? Life is still going on. And yet here we are in our mind. And what does anger do to you how does it affect everything you know have you ever noticed this maybe you maybe you don't maybe it doesn't work that way with you you'd be the only one but maybe it doesn't work that way with you that when you are really mad really mad at somebody everybody that talks to you stands a chance of getting blasted don't they yeah you're, on, you're, just, you're just sitting there on pins and needles. You're waiting for somebody. I have said in the office before, please aggravate me. I am looking for somebody to fight with today. And I'm just saying what we think. Anger makes us lose our lives. All right, let's move along. I love this stuff. I go crazy with it. I hope y'all sort of getting an idea here. Go over to the book of Mark. That'd be the one right after Matthew. Go to chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Listen to it real close, okay? Matthew 3, 1 through 6. And he, being Jesus, entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to him, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. 
And he looked at the, around at them with, hmm, he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Hmm. Now, wait a minute. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told me that anger is the equivalent of murder. And now I've got over here in Mark, I've got Jesus walking in the temple, and he knows these guys are testing him to see what he's going to do. And he gets angry at them. Is Jesus a hypocrite? Is he teaching one thing and doing something entirely different? Sounds hypocritical, don't it? But, it? but it can't be because of Hebrews 4.15 tells us that we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus is the high priest. Jesus is without sin. So what makes his anger different from mine? What causes my anger to be sinful and his anger not to be sinful? What makes his anger different from mine? It's the object of his anger. It's the object of the anger. Jesus goes in the synagogues, just another Sabbath day. Another, we, call, we would say Sunday, it was Saturday for them, it's just another day. He goes in the synagogue, he immediately runs into a guy with a withered hand. Have y'all ever seen anybody with a withered hand? Huh? You ever seen anybody with a withered hand, you know? Sort of drawn up, sometimes turns in sort of atrophies they've got one hand maybe that's normal and the other one's a little scrawny thing sort of looks like a claw you ever seen that and you walk up to them guys and you and you don't think about it because what do you do when you meet somebody you don't know right hand goes out right you're going to shake hands with a guy and you don't even think about it you just stick your hand out to shake his hand and then you look down and notice that his right hand is a claw and now you're embarrassed because I didn't notice, and you think you've embarrassed him, and there's that awkward thing that goes on there for a minute or two. Have you ever caught yourself staring at somebody that's got a withered hand? Or anything that's different? You know, it's like a car wreck. You don't want to look, but you can't stop yourself. And you watch them, and they're trying to do things that you do that's normal. Maybe button a, shirt, button a button on a shirt or undo a button on a... These things kill me to start with. The buttons, they, who put buttons on sleeves was crazy. They ought to all be short sleeves. But as hard as that is for me, get a guy that's got a withered hand trying to button a button, and they do all these contortions and things, and you can't take your eyes off of them. And then all of a sudden, they look up, and you make eye contact with them, and you're embarrassed again. Have you thought about how they feel in that situation have you thought about what goes on in their minds have you been around anybody that's handicapped or anybody that's different this is autism awareness month autistic children are different I wonder how they feel when we stare at them. I wonder how the parents feel when we stare at them. How their moms, how their dads, how their sisters, how their brothers feel when, when we stare at them. And you know, I know you people. 
I know you. We've been together for a long, long, long time together at this place. And I know that it breaks your heart. And if you had a way to fix it, you would. I know you would. If you had the time, the talent, the treasure to fix people's lives, you would do that. I know that. Well, in this case, Jesus walks in and he can. He can fix this. The guy's sitting there with a withered hand that goes through all of this stuff for all of his life and people staring at him and he can't do and, and the whole nine yards and Jesus walks into the room and with a single word he can say be healed that's two words okay with two words he can say be healed and the guy's hand boom Jesus can do it any way he wants so he can think it he created every boom the guy's fixed and yet in that room there are spectators that are so full of anger and hate that they would rather see that man left miserable for the rest of his life than for Jesus to heal him. And Jesus looked at those guys who would rather see this man miserable for the rest of his life. Jesus looked at those guys with anger, grieved at the hardness of their heart. His anger wasn't directed at them. He didn't hate them. He didn't wish them an eternity in hell. He was angry at what blinded them. He was angry at the sin that would destroy people. And it infuriated him. Two quick points. And a little quick story, we'll be done. There is a time to be angry. There is a time to be angry. But be angry for the right reasons. Be angry that people are treated unfairly. Be, be angry that people are treated unjustly. Be angry that poor people are taken advantage of. Be angry that special children are treated harshly when they can't help who God created them to be. Be angry that the popular child gets a pass while the outcast child is the one who is punished or bullied. Be angry when justice isn't served because somebody has so much money they can buy their way out of it or somebody is so poor they can't afford the council to get them out of it. Be angry justly. Be angry for the reasons that Jesus got anger, angry. But point number two, remember this, that anger always has consequences. Anger always has consequences. Jesus' righteous anger got him killed don't believe just because you're angry for the right reasons that everybody's going to jump on your bandwagon and say "Woo, you're a hero go kid go people who are angry for the right reasons rock the boat and nobody likes the boat to be rocked but sometimes you got to rock the boat sometimes you have to but know when you do you're going to pay a price an unrighteous anger, when Tim's just mad at me or I'm just mad at Tim. Unrighteous anger, very simply, I can't receive love from God while I'm busy wishing you were dead. Does that make sense? 
I want to have a good relationship with God. And yet I'm furious at you. I can't receive God's love while I'm wishing you were dead. Not a possibility. Not a possibility. Because God loves you too. So I went to Pigeon Forge. This was a big deal for me. I went up to Pigeon Forge to the Exchange Life Conference, the spiritual therapy workshop. Half the guys in my workshop were recovering addicts. Guy sitting up in front of me, him and his wife, he has, he's a recovering addict for 13 years. Cool, I was sitting here talking with this guy, and he's been recovering for 13 years. And before he married his wife, he sat down with her and he said, these are my triggers. And these are the way I, this is the way I act when I start slipping into addiction. If I do any of these things, here are the people to call. These are the things for you to do to make sure that I don't slip back into this thing again. And he wrote a list out for her so that if I ever do these things, you call me on it, honey. And you get these people involved because I'll be mean to you. But if we get enough people, we can save me. I thought that was cool. I thought that was very cool. 13 years for him, the guy sitting beside me had been clean for seven months. There was this one young guy in his mid-20s. He worked for a Christian rehab group down in Florida. We got to talking about resources and how hard it is to get people who are addicted or to, to get them into something, get them motivated to get into something, and how hard it is to find some place for people that are addicted. The sources, are, the, the resources, the Christian resources are so limited and I told him about people that I had dealt with in the past and how hard it is to find this. And, and you hate to see these guys going through this and how hard their lives is and how all messed up they are with addiction. And then I said, very, very innocently, I said to the guy, and you know, the person I was talking to him about, I said, you know, he's such a nice guy. And the guy stopped the conversation just... And he made sure he looked me dead in the eye. I mean, looked into my soul. And he said, Randy, most of us are. Mm. 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 Difference between trying to follow the rule of not getting angry and trying to be like Jesus. If, if, if I make a rule out of not getting angry, then I'm not only going to get angry, I'm going to get angrier. If we turn this thing into a rule, Jesus says, don't get angry. I guarantee you tomorrow you will get angry and you will be more angry than you have ever been in before because this is what you'll do. I know this because I have done this. What you will do is somebody will do something. You'll say, I'm not supposed to get angry. You'll call customer service up and it will be the worst customer service you have ever had in your life. And you'll be sitting there on the phone going, I'm not supposed to get angry. I'm going to love them. Yes, Jesus is with me. I'm going to be good to you. And then I'm going to go into Ingalls and I'll go through the one line where the lady in front of me is, could I pay this in 16 different sections? I'm getting this for my daughter and for my son. Did you know my son goes to school? <gasps> I'm not going to get angry. 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 And you just keep on and you keep on and you keep on until that last thing gets you, right? And when that last thing gets you, you explode. You vomit your anger on everybody. And then you lean back and you feel guilty. Because the Bible says, don't get angry. And I did. 
and I failed again. And you know what? You will always fail. You will always fail. Scrap the rule. Look at Jesus. If I get angry at Jesus, like Jesus, if I get angry like Jesus, I look at the person who is addicted. I bet every one of us in here has somebody in the family or somebody that we're associated somehow that has somebody that has been hardcore addicted to something. And we've been angry with them. But if I'm angry like Jesus, the addict has harmed their family so much, stolen from their family. The ones who are trying to help them, the addict has stolen from them. The addict has lied so much that when they're visiting in your home, you don't want them to go to the bathroom by themselves because you're afraid that when they leave, something of yours is going to leave with them. The addict has squandered every chance that they've ever had. They've gotten fired from half a dozen jobs. They've quit half a dozen jobs. They mouthed off at everybody. They've generally caused heartbreak and chaos with everything they touch. And getting angry like Jesus is looking at the man who is so messing up, so messing up everybody's lives, Getting angry like Jesus is for us to look at that person who is messing up everybody's lives, messing up their own life, and saying to ourselves, I absolutely hate addiction. I hate what this does to people. What can I do to help him? What can I do to help her? Can I do anything to help their family? What can I do to help other people to not go down this road so this horrible thing happens to their life? How can I let him know I care without getting drawn into his drama? God, I don't know how to do that. Father, help me be like you. Jesus has a bad habit of answering our prayers. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for letting us see a glimpse of Jesus. Thank you for letting me see a glimpse of Jesus in this. Sort of amazing to me, God, that the number of years I've read this scripture, studied it, translated it from the original languages. I've never heard it like this before, Lord. I've never seen you telling me to be angry like you. And for the conviction that you carry with that, when I get angry and I hear your voice saying, okay, now Randy, what are you really angry at? And that's hard for me, Lord, because I want to be angry. I enjoy the adrenaline rush, I guess. I don't know. And I think I'm not the only one. Help us to be like Jesus. Help us to be like Jesus. Amen. Listen, if you've not trusted Christ as your Savior, God is angry. Your sin 
has you dead to him. And if your life ends with you dead to God, you will be dead forever and you will burn in a place called hell. And it's just that simple. Oh, pastor, you're trying to scare me. You're absolutely right, I am. The train's on the track. You're going to get run over. I don't want to see you run over. He wants to save you. He loves you. He has given his life on a cross so that you could put your sins or he could pull your sins onto him and crucify them and give you eternal life. I'm asking you this morning, I'm begging you this morning, please, please, please trust Jesus to do what he says he'll do. And Christian, what are you mad at? What are you mad at? I want you to lean back and take a deep breath. You might have to swallow your pride a little bit and ask yourself, what am I really mad at? And then work to fix it. Your mad hurts you. You're mad hurts the person that you're mad at. And you're mad hurts God. There is no need. Be like Jesus. And then see what living in peace is all about.